everyone. Welcome to another episode of Picture Blurfect with me, Naomi Harlan Bacchus Wilkerson. How's everyone feeling today? I feel very refreshed. Uh, I took a two hour nap, which doesn't happen very often. Actually, I took a two hour nap yesterday. <laughs> so, I just lied, um, but it was wonderful. I always nap um, really well when my dog gets next to me for some reason. I don't know. I, I don't have very many data points to confirm this hypothesis, but I firmly believe that everyone sleeps better when there is a dog next to them. <laughs> That's just my my winning theory at the moment. Um, but anyways, I am so excited to bring to you guys today another fantastic interview with Dr. Janet Lidecker. She is a clinical psychologist at Yale University, and she is the head of the Power Lab, which stands for Program for Obesity, Weight, and Eating Research. So I'm going to include, of course, a link to her lab and other information about Dr. Lidecker in the episode description. But today's episode, we dig into an issue that we don't talk about enough, which is weight bullying. And I just really commend Dr. Lidecker and her colleagues for really blazing a path on this because she it's an area that we really don't know a lot about. When I was digging through the literature, there's not a whole lot on this issue, which just goes to show in a lot of areas in eating disorder research and disordered eating and weight stigma, there's just so much that we have yet to uncover. So I was really excited to be able to talk to Dr. Lidecker and hear more about her work and the areas that her lab is going to go forward. So we we dig into the association between weight stigma and weight bullying, how social media plays a role with all of this, how people can go seek help, how parents can recognize the signs of weight bullying, which is a really important issue. And I think what I came away from it is just not my heart really goes out to these individuals that are so scared to speak out and and to seek help and i just hope that this podcast really sheds light that in any area that has to do with your weight or body image or disordered your eating patterns any of those insecurities or feelings that you just feel like a loss of sense of control and you just need some help and guidance that there is help out there that you don't have to go through this period of your life alone and you're not the only one you're not weird or like a, a complete freak if you will if for having these feelings because they're all very valid and there are resources out there to help you through it and i i just really appreciated dr lightdecker's approach to these really complicated issues like weight bullying so it was just really refreshing to hear that that side of of things and and the and the path that her research is going. So I'm so excited for you guys to listen. And without further ado, Dr. Janet Lidecker. Alrighty, we are here with Dr. Janet Lidecker. I'm so excited to have you on Picture Blurfect. Um, so we have... Yeah, of course. So we have so much to talk about. And before we get started, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself, like your educational background, your current position, and then of course, what your research interests are. Sure. Happy to. So I'm a clinical psychologist, a counseling psychologist by training. Uh, I specialize in eating disorders. And since I've been Working in this field and seeing patients, I've become more and more interested and specialized in individuals with eating disorders and higher weight who often get overlooked in eating disorder yeah. research, uh, which means clinicians don't know what to do. Yeah. So my research these days is on adolescents 
who have some form of disordered eating or weight concern, as well as a higher weight. So we do a study on binge eating, and then we also have a study to treat weight bullying. So kids who have been bullied because of their weight, uh, hoping to either reduce body image concerns or maybe even prevent eating disorders. But it's very early, so we don't know exactly what we'll be able to do. Right. But it's such an important aspect of this field that I think, like you said, doesn't get talked about enough. It's really overlooked. So I'm so glad that you are are doing this work and, and I'd love to like pick your brain even more about it. So I, particularly on the weight-based bullying, what exactly is it and how does it exactly look like? Sure. So I define bullying pretty broadly. I think of it as any form of teasing or bullying, beating people up, excluding them from social events or from activities, all the things that we would think of with kids being bullied in general, the weight aspect is that they're targeted for their weight. Uh, So bullying almost always has a power differential. There's something that makes the the victim a target in in the perpetrator's eyes. And weight is one of the most common reasons why kids are picked on or bullied. Just unfortunate and definitely needs to be addressed. Yeah. Do we see online bullying as well? Like, is that a big thing too? It is. It definitely is. Um, we, we see cyberbullying for many different reasons. The challenge with cyberbullying is that, well, there's so many, but one of the challenges is that kids don't always know why they're being picked on. So whereas name calling usually has a particular slur or insult attached to it, um, Cyberbullying can just be mean and and kids don't always know. And so part of the challenge is we as humans try to attribute a reason. So kids will try to figure out, well, why am I a victim? How can I avoid it? And they take that blame on themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So we we see cyberbullying. We see it being attributed to weight. But then we also see anyone who's identified as a victim for any reason tends to be bullied for many different reasons. So it's it's intersectional too. So if kids have a higher body weight and are identified as a victim, they can end up just being bullied. And it's this terrible cycle uh, where it happens over and over. Yeah. It's just, it's so complicated. It's a very layered issue. So I appreciate you trying to tease it apart and, and, mm-hmm. and figuring it all out. Um, so one thing that I get personally confused about, and I think listeners would appreciate is, can you explain the relationship between weight stigma and then weight-based bullying? Is there a relationship? There, there is. So weight stigma, I think of as a much broader phenomenon than weight bullying. So weight stigma can be attitudes that are under the surface, or it can be things that are said. It can be you know, a commercial where the person who's having or, or who's, who's being the target of jokes has a heavier body. That's weight stigma. But weight stigma is also uh, kids being assumed to be stupid by their teacher because of their weight. And bullying is one particular form of weight-based discrimination. So it's it's a subset of the weight stigma where we get those, those bullying behaviors. So it's interpersonal. It's... Um, it can be verbal or physical, but it um, 
it has a behavior attached to it. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense then. And so what, at what ages or age groups, um, is weight-based bullying the most common? Is it pretty consistent across multiple sets of groups or do we tend to see it like in younger or older people? So it, it follows the same pattern as bullying. So we start to see it in late elementary school and then it ramps up in middle school and in high school. So we, we do our treatments for 11 and up, so middle school and high school, but we've been told many times by parents with younger kids that they wished we could go younger. Um, we picked middle school because that's also when body image concerns also ramp up. So it, it helps with preventing body image to be able to talk about it then. But we definitely hear about nine and 10 year olds with both body image concerns and being bullied. It's, it's too young. Not that anyone should have to deal with this. Yeah. No, I, I remember when I was a nine-year-old, the, that shouldn't be your concern. It's just like, what what game am I going to play when I get home? Or what's my snack going to be when I get back from school? And these, it's it's scary too, because I'm a, I'm, I worry that it's going to get younger and younger as, as kind of our culture evolves. Yeah, I think you're right. And I worry about that too. Um, just imagine if your concern isn't what game are you going to play, but are you going to need to hide at recess because people are going to be mean to you? I mean, that's just not, that's not a childhood. It's really problematic. Exactly. Oh, it's just so scary. Um, so then speaking of the, the different age groups, then do you start to see like different symptoms or different types of behaviors in kids, like at the nine and 10 year olds versus middle school versus high school, or is it again, like pretty consistent across? Um, in terms of bullying behaviors, it is pretty consistent. I believe younger tends to be more verbal. Relational is all the time. So kids are always yeah. like exclude from social events, but I, I believe the physical tends to be older. So it's when bullies might feel like they have more strength or more power to be a, a physically intimidating presence. But, you know, I don't think we, we really know enough about that and know what the patterns are. And that would probably help schools to work on preventing bullying. If we could say, well, really focus your energy on this at this age group and then move on. Is it, and is there a breakdown between like, do you see it more commonly in boys versus girls or like, do you see any kind of like gender differences? Somewhat. So girls are, are more likely to be bullied, but the types of bullying vary a little bit in terms of whether the victim is a female or a male. Um, with, with girls, we also see stronger effects of the bullying, probably because it's an interpersonal um, form of discrimination. And so we see higher rates of PTSD from bullying. We see more disordered eating, more depression, anxiety. Um, boys certainly have this too. Uh, and I'm unfortunately relying on research that has dichotomized gender, but we know that transgender youth are bullied. Yeah. at much higher levels than actually males or females. Um, but we just don't, don't know enough. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's just so much more data to get into, more studies to do. Oh, that, but that's the nature of research and why we rely on on you to to do this kind of work. And it's it's so important. Um, so then I think you touched on it a little bit. Is it common for those that have experienced or are victims of bullying to develop disordered eating or even like a complete eating disorder? Like how common is that? Yeah. The numbers vary, and that's in part because we don't really know how to define bullying. Um, There's an official definition, but everyone measures it in different ways. So it's hard to quote exactly how many kids develop disordered eating or a full eating disorder. But the reason why I'm doing a weight bullying treatment study is because so many of our kids with eating disorders come in with a history of being bullied. And I got pretty fed up with just being mad at at the situation and how often we had to hear this. It was, it was really awful. So I wanted to include it in our binge eating treatment and we do, uh, but it didn't feel like enough and there wasn't really anything up there to draw. So I initially wanted to prevent eating disorders, but we're getting kids with full-fledged eating disorders uh, who have identified this as their underlying issue. And we say, okay, well, we're going to treat weight bullying. We'll see what happens. And uh, you might need to continue doing eating disorder therapy after, but we'll see. This should help. Uh, so we're, we're grateful that kids, teens have the insight and they're identifying self-referring to get this. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking, it's kind of unbelievable because I'm sure a lot of them don't want to admit that they are victims. So how do you approach that? Like, because there's probably so many that you don't know about are bullying and how do you account for those? Like, it's a very difficult subject. Yes. And part of it, we tiptoe around because it's a treatment study. And so to be realistic, we want people who are seeking treatment. So we do a bunch of social media advertising and posts just about bullying and how you can seek treatment. Uh, either from us doing a specific treatment or from a counselor who can do good psychological treatment that that it works for bullying. It just doesn't, uh, it isn't specific to that. But we have found an interesting pattern where teens are reaching out much more than their parents. So I think that gets at what you're asking. Uh, Usually parents are the ones to initiate making an appointment with any kind of doctor, including psychologists. But we're getting messages from teens. And some of them we do have to talk to and say, well, this is research. Your parent has to sign a consent form. So we are going to have to make sure that they know that you're being bullied and that this is something that you want. Um, But usually... Usually teens who reach out are perfectly fine sharing with their parents. They just don't want any of their peers to know. Yeah. 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 That's just so hard. And is that messaging system, like, can it be anonymous, but like, so that it's, or is it, it's completely confidential? Like, how do you ensure that people can reach out to you and make sure that it's not going to get out and everywhere? So we do it the same way a clinic would. So it's confidential. So we usually have people either emailing us or writing in, but with their first name, but then we do talk to them on the phone. So I guess they could give a fake name, but we do 
call them on their telephone number. Yeah. Uh, but everything is confidential. So we don't actually keep records unless they enroll in our program. Uh, so nothing would be disseminated. Uh, yeah, it's really, it's really tough. And there's a lot of self-shame and self-stigma mm-hmm. where even teens who are calling us, let alone those who don't feel like they deserve treatment, feel like they're to blame. And one thing we hear a lot with weight bullying from both parents and teens is, well, if only I I could lose weight, then I wouldn't be bullied anymore. And that is just heartbreaking to me. Uh, It is definitely not the child's fault that someone else is picking on them teasing them, bullying them. And it's also not going to work. So even if there's weight loss, once you've been identified as that that victim and bullies have found that they can get others to laugh or they can feel better about themselves from bullying, it's just not going to go away with any simple solution. Right. Right. Oh, my God. It's just... So then how do you... It's a difficult question to not only like diagnose and, and, and get people to, to understand what the problem is, but how do you go about then treating someone that has been bullied and, and how does that change if that person has an eating disorder or has developed those first signs of disordered eating? Yeah. So because we're doing a weight bullying study right now, we don't differentiate between whether they have an eating disorder or not. We're seeing this as it's an underlying issue that's either going to prevent or reduce current symptomatology. Um, so again, I was pretty irate when I was designing the study. So I went, we're just going to take this seriously. We're not going to tiptoe. We're going to do the treatment that is going to be really powerful. Uh, so we're doing a full out trauma treatment. So it's not trauma-informed. It's not just aware that there might be some traumatic stress in response to uh, memories of or experiences being bullied. It's a full-out trauma treatment. Uh, So we're doing trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, which was developed for kids who have been abused in some way. And we we adapted it for weight bullying because there are just some things that are different with weight building, like that it happens over and over. It's not necessarily a one-time thing, whereas it can be either uh, with the original treatment. And what I love about that is the central intervention in trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy is to work therapist and patient to create a narrative. So they create their own story, and it's usually both verbal and uh, visual. So they basically draw pictures or use clip art and then use words as well. And they make a timeline of these are the experiences that I've had. These are the thoughts that I've had. And then, uh, and these are are the consequences I experienced. And then they go back and they say, wow, look at this pattern of thinking and we don't erase it, but we'll, we'll cross it out or we'll circle it and have them come up with a new thought that they could have. And then they practice having those uh, reframed thoughts uh, that are not blaming themselves or taking um, an overly pessimistic view of the whole world, but is, is more focused on 
what actually happened in a factual way. And then they share it with their parent at the end. So it's, uh, it's meant to empower them to have it be part of their story and not this secret, shameful experience that they, they guard protectively. So it's a long process. I'm making it sound like it'll happen just like that, but right. several months and we do lots of coping and lots of processing and um, it's very gradual, which again is why I love the trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy for bullying in particular. No, that's, that's really amazing. But like with all therapies though, it's a, it's a process. It's going to take yes. time exactly. and it's sometimes two steps forward, one step back and, yeah. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the parent's role in this? So you mentioned that they present that kind of narrative to them both verbally and with pictures, but how do the parents get involved and have you ever received pushback from parents? Like, Oh no, I, I don't want to, to be involved in therapy. What good questions. I love those questions. We get them from parents all the time at the very beginning of therapy. Uh, So parents participate at least monthly. It depends a bit on how much the parent is affected by the child's bullying. But we have a regular structure where they come in. uh, I'm saying come in, but it's all virtual. So they appear on Zoom and uh, they learn what the child would would see as helpful forms of support and uh, they learn a bit about self-care and coping so that they can understand what the child is trying to do try to do it themselves and have it be more of a family goal than just this one person the teen has to change so we don't want that Uh, but if the parent is very affected very upset by the bullying if it was happening in the family or if the parent themselves was doing some teasing, either intentionally or unintentionally, we'll meet with them a little bit more and process through communication and definitions of what bullying is and why it's a problem, why it's probably not going to do whatever the the intention was behind it, which is usually weight loss. And then by the end, we make sure the parent is ready to hear the narrative and can respond in a way that has that empowering tone. Since we're ending on that note, we don't want that to be a a barrier in any way to ongoing recovering for the the team. Yeah. Have you ever had parents that flat out don't want to be involved in that process? We don't. We have parents who are intimidated, but... They usually actually want more and oh, good. less. So it's hard with teens because teens want to do everything on their own, but then they want full support from their parent. And so we found that this monthly tends to be a good rate. Uh, but parents will often email and say, is she getting better? I can't really tell. Is change happening? And I, I get it. They're worried. And usually when they know that bullying has happened, uh, they're, they're engaged. They want their child to feel better. Yeah. 
Yeah. As a parent, you want, you will do anything to, to, to try and, and help your child. So, so that's good. That's actually really encouraging that, you know, you're, you're seeing engagement and not complete pushback because my fear is always, there's this constant stigma of therapy in general, or just even seeking out and, and kind of being open about your struggles and, and honest with, with what you're going through. And I can't, I can't imagine that, you know, this is, you know, not an exception and, and that, you know, you might not run into that, but that's really good, especially with something so early in development that can affect later years and, and just the rest of your life. So true. And you are absolutely right about the stigma surrounding therapy. So I'm sure that some of the people who are not calling are not calling because they don't want to be identified as someone who needs therapy, whether it's the parent or the child. Uh, So I'm sure we're missing some of that. But it's really hard for parents whose teen is saying, I want this, I need this to feel better to not be fully on board. We had one parent, I love this. She, she said, well, of course I'm going to do this. You're only as happy as your least happy child. And so I need my child to be doing well. And this is going to help me in that way. So I just absolutely love that. No, that's a, that's a really good, that's accurate. And that I can see my own mom saying something like that. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so I, I want to kind of go into social media a little bit more has, cause it's really just exploded. Has social media influenced bullying and, and maybe cyberbullying in particular, because I, I see constantly words like lose this fat or are you obese? And do you want to get rid of that double chin? And that's just kind of plastered everywhere. How does that play into like therapy and and what maybe some kids are experiencing oh it's such a good point and again one of those things that is changing so fast i can't keep up with knowing how to address it Uh, we actually have a teen advisory board here who most of what they tell me is about social media and what they're seeing so i can keep up to date because otherwise it's impossible right Uh, in terms of cyberbullying, I was fully expecting it to increase during COVID, and it, it didn't really. It's always been a problem, and it was still a problem when there was remote schooling, but it, it wasn't more of a problem than it was before. Um, so cyberbullying is a huge problem. Uh, it tends to be related with all the negative consequences and sometimes even more strongly than traditional bullying in person. Uh, But beyond that, there's this other issue which you alluded to, which isn't quite bullying because it's not targeting a person, but it's definitely weight stigma and it's perpetuating this thin ideal and this idea that everyone's weight is their own personal responsibility and under their own control. And so for that, we actually see a negative effect of social media across the board. So teens without eating disorders, teens with eating disorders, teens who are being bullied, it's just everywhere. Anyone who's scrolling through their feeds. And in terms of how we address it, we do have specific interventions in 
both of our treatments where we talk about social media and specifically not the ads necessarily because teens are usually good at, at dismissing those or at least better right. than yeah. adults. Um, but it's the, the comparisons. So it's the idea that everyone puts the best version of themselves into pictures and videos and talks about this is what I eat in a day. This is my exercise routine. And it has this perfect tone to it. Even when they're saying, oh, I had a cheat day. It's, it has this, this tone of, gosh, that's your cheat day. I, that's like a normal day for me. Right. And so it's, it's the comparisons that we work with. So we tell teens, and a lot of this advice comes from teens themselves, so we're recycling, uh, to pay attention to who they follow and to do almost an audit of, of their accounts. So if you're following someone who makes you feel bad because you feel like you'll never match or you'll never compare to them, unfollow them. But then the the correlate is that you have to stay on the for you page or stay on your feed, which doesn't have those random other ones that algorithms generate um, that can be put in. And that's hard to do as well because you want to know what's going on and what's popular and what's trending and going viral. Um, but if we can work on comparisons and get that more at the conscious level than the automatic level, it tends to help a little bit. So teens will also talk about uh, setting a rule for themselves where they're going to more consciously make a comparison. So if they notice that they're always making comparisons with people with larger body sizes because that makes them feel better about themselves then uh, they're going to switch it up and try to look for different body sizes in their feed or compare themselves to every third person or look specifically at haircuts I mean there's all different ways but it's a way of focusing the attention in a way that works for the team but isn't letting that automatic thin ideal dictate the comparisons being yeah yeah it's it's really hard though too because i i struggled with that a lot when i was in recovery for my eating disorder and it's you can hear that voice in the back of your head still when you're scrolling and it's i think what's helped me the most too is that you know if it's especially like i don't know why we compare ourselves to like a celebrity or somebody we've never even met in real life but it's mm -hmm. there it happens mm -hmm. all the time and I guess what helps me too is that I don't really compare physical attributes anymore is that I look at personality and I'm, and I, if I know that person is kind of a jerk, then I'm like, that makes me feel better about myself because I know I'm not a jerk. Mm -hmm. And so I try and look at that. So I don't put as much stock in the physical, the weight base and how people look because every person is so different. Um, that's personally helped me. And plus I also follow just a lot of like dog accounts and that's helped so that I just Likewise. See, yeah. <laughs> I like that content more yes. than just like the latest Hollywood news. <laughs> so true. And I love that strategy of comparing to personalities or just reminding yourself what the personality is. Um, that is another great way to refocus attention. I love that.
Exactly. So I kind of want to, I'm interested in how you became, how you became interested in researching weight bullying. So like, how did that start? And, and then what do you hope that your lab and others can kind of hope to achieve in the field in the next five years or so? Because I, it's still a very small field of research, I would believe. So there's a lot of gaps in data. Yeah, which creates a lot of opportunities. Right. Uh, so I, I told you a little bit about the treatment study, but my interest in weight bullying goes back further. And it really started in weight stigma. Uh, so... As I was studying how to treat eating disorders and um, the, the, the consequences of different body sizes during graduate school, I noticed that both groups, so those seeking weight loss and those with eating disorders, had these negative body image thoughts that came from the environment. So they came from either culture or peers or family or some other force, and they became internalized. And that was such a problem. Uh, I found that they tended to have those problems in particular tend to have a lot of avoidance around them. So the individual would not look in the mirror because they could hear those criticisms inside their mind just by looking in the mirror. And when you have avoidance, it just makes everything else harder in therapy because you don't really have something to work with and problems get bigger when they're avoided. They don't get smaller or go, excuse me, or go away. Um, so initially I was focused on the idea of thin ideal internalization, which is what we used to talk about in early 2000s and before. And that was a core feature of eating disorder psychopathology. So it was part of the body dissatisfaction. It was driving some initial dieting attempts, which then merged into the eating disorder. But at some point, I realized it was actually the same. It was just the other side of a coin with weight stigma. So if you, if you, for lack of a better term, I'm going to be extreme, if you hate fat or if you love thin, it's kind of the same thing. And it ends up producing a lot of the same effects. And so... Instead of studying this thin ideal internalization, I just switched to look at this discrimination. It also fits with a lot of my training is more along the lines of that social justice, uh, wanting people to advocate for themselves, wanting to advocate for patients, big picture, uh, which is why I think the research as well as the treatment also uh, gives me a lot of fulfillment and joy because I feel like I'm able to shed a light on a problem and hopefully enact big picture change. So there's a lot to do with weight bullying. I think you asked what we could do in five years. And of course I want to change the world, but it feels like we are taking baby steps. Um, So I am still working on doing the studies that, prove over and over that weight bullying is a problem. Um, 
in different ways, in different words, but I think that is going to be perpetually something that I'm looking at. Um, but I would like to start to see, start to identify ways to help people who have been bullied. I'm focused on the individual level because I'm a psychologist, but I, I, I'm so glad other people are working on the big picture policy level because we need to do both and I can't do it all. Uh, so I would love to be able to give therapists and give uh, pediatricians and anyone tools to be able to help with weight bullying. So hopefully within five years, but within a decade, maybe. Yeah, no. And I, I would, I am confident that you can absolutely change the world with the work that you're doing. And I love this. And I think what you're touching on, it's just so complicated. It's not like, cause I worked in a neuroscience lab for so long. I'm a neuroscience by training. So it's very, you don't, it's a lot more cut and dry in like neuroscience where you can kind of like oh, it's that neuron is activated and that is responding to that. Whereas in psychology, things are a little bit like, oh, but did you consider this? Did you consider this? And it's it's very hard. Um, so what you're trying to do with, with weight bullying and just raising awareness about it, particularly with parents and, and ensuring that kids feel open and enough to talk about it is so critical. And I hope that we can kind of see that culture change too in the coming years, which leads me to my last question, which is kind of a two-parter. Um, so what advice do you have for young people who may be listening to this, who may be experiencing bullying and they want to say something, they maybe want to reach out, and but they're just too afraid to, to take that step and, and address it? Well, I would say if they themselves have been bullied, reach out. So talk to a trusted adult, reach out to, to us, to a pediatrician, to any provider they have a relationship with, uh, or to start a relationship with them, but not to try to go it alone. It's that whole idea of having that secret shameful part of yourself being exposed and having that actually lessen the burden. It takes a lot of courage. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's really hard when you've experienced the interpersonal bullying to then trust other people. But I would say that's why going to a trusted adult is a good way to go. Uh, what we hear a lot, too, is teens who know someone who's being bullied, whether it's a friend or someone who they see that at school, because it is usually public. And for that, my advice actually flips. And I would say if they are comfortable and able to do it, be a friend to that person in psychology, we know that just one person on your side is what makes a difference. And so just having one person who's not laughing in the room or one person who says, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee right now instead of doing what everyone else is doing and being the one to spend time with you makes a world of difference. And it's not a pity thing uh, because... Even if it starts with 
I'm going to do a good thing and be a friend, you very quickly realize how many good traits that person has. So if possible, that is my number one wish that every kid who is bullied would have a person who would stand next to them and walk them to a different room when needed. Oh, that's such great advice. That's such a good point too, because you may be witness to something, but you're not sure what your responsibility could be. And that's, that's tremendous advice. I love that. Just be a friend and um, go to that person. So then um, another part of that equation is for parents. What is your advice in both raising children, using a body positive approach and making sure that they feel confident uh, going to school and that they don't kind of feel trapped in this comparison game. Like, how do you go about doing that? Or like, if they feel like their child is being bullied, how do you approach that? So when we talk to parents, a, a small portion who have experienced bullying either themselves or through their child, they get it. But most parents are still thinking of bullying like the rest of culture with, this is just a part of growing up. This is something that happens and it is common, but it has such negative consequences that what I would love parents to hear and to be able to do is to pay attention to, uh, any changes in their child. So if they're not wanting to leave their room or if they seem to not be hanging out with their friends anymore or they're not going online or they're being secretive about something. It's hard with teenagers because I also just described a normal teenager. But in my experience, parents know when something's wrong and it can be hard to get the teen comfortable opening up. But what I usually say is that if you establish some kind of regular pattern of talking, whether it's family dinner or you knock on their door every night before you go to bed, something that is not just when you notice something wrong, but becomes part of the routine there's more likely to be that opening if there is something that you do want to bring up that you've noticed or are concerned about. And then I would say err on the side of talking to a pediatrician or therapist if you do have concerns. We know that not only eating disorders, but anxiety, depression, self-harm, PTSD, uh, even suicidality, all of that can come along with bullying. And while those are the worst case scenario, and many kids don't go down that path, it's too much of a risk. So if you can catch it early, just having someone to talk to with that idea that this is confidential, I can say whatever, and it will not be judged, uh, can be really helpful. Right. Exactly. No, that's all such great advice. It's it's not easy uh, being a parent, um, and it's definitely not easy if you are experiencing bullying, but there is help and there is studies and processes in place to really be that support system. And I think 
going it alone is probably the worst thing that you can do in this instance. Probably. Yeah. It's, yeah. it can be isolating and very distressing to both the parent okay. and the team. Yeah. This whole process. Exactly. Well, I wanted to thank you for, for coming onto the podcast and, and sharing all of the great work that you're doing with, with this and your ongoing studies and the future studies that you will be doing. It's so, so important. And I hope we can maybe bring you back and, and hear some of the, the continued work and the results that you're getting from these studies and the, um, the impact that you have on these kids and these families is just profound. And I really want to thank you and commend you for, for all your great work. Naomi, thank you so much. I have enjoyed just being able to talk to you and talk about weight bullying. So I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for your kind words. They mean a lot. That's our show for this week, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Picture Blurfect. I hope you liked my conversation with Dr. Lidecker. She's doing just such fascinating work, and she's such a wonderful human being to talk to. I, I hope you all could, could really sense that in my conversation with her. Again, I'll include a little bit more about her lab in the episode description in case you want to check out additional work that her and her colleagues are doing, which is just fantastic. I can't wait to see the other things that she's going to bring forward into the field and, and really just help change people's lives which is so desperately needed in this time. And it's like she said, cyberbullying is, it's really hard. It's, it's really hard to just figure all of this out as a parent, as a therapist, as a friend. Um, it's difficult, um, but we need people to address it somehow. So be sure to follow us on social media. We have a Twitter as well as an Instagram. I also, did I say Instagram? <laughs> I don't know what just happened. But be, and I also include my email at the bottom of the episode description as well. I love hearing from you all. If you have a question or an idea about an upcoming episode, I would love to hear from you all. I'd love chatting with you guys. Uh, and just what do you think about it? Like no hate though. <laughs> I will not tolerate hate. Um, but yeah, I really do enjoy hearing your thoughts and your feedback and it's much appreciated. So wherever you're listening to this, whether it's on a Monday, on a Friday, on a Saturday, I hope this finds you well. I hope this was a nice little reprieve from the hustle and bustle of your, your regular lives. And I hope you always remember how much you matter in this world and how worthy you are. You are worthy of food. You are worthy of being alive and, and just being present. Um, and I hope you never shy away from your personality and who you are. Let that shine. Like No matter how many quirks or personality strange things that you might think there are, like we love all of it and you deserve to be here and your weight and your clothing size and all of that. It just doesn't matter because at the end of the day, those are all just numbers and they mean nothing to you as far as your worth and, and who you are as a person. So I hope you always remember that in your heart. And I believe that's all, but that's always my little spiel for you all. I hope you feel encouraged and loved. I will see you guys next time. 